going into teaching or not? Or? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, will, I, will, I will leave that to you and Adam. But um... I'm on my way out. <laughs> I've announced my retirement plan. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I've been playing around with friends, right? So sure, sure. Um, I kind of want, like, I've been playing around with friends and um, I kind of started working with Hang a little bit. Mm. Okay, so, cool. um, yeah. so it's kind of um, like, it's kind of like hitting me completely like, I have no idea how to get this across to Ang because Ang doesn't really have much own experience, so I don't know where to even start, you know what I mean? Okay. How old is Ang now? He's 16 now. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, great. Okay. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, he's, he's, he's at that age where he's getting into little scraps with like Eshe kids on the streets and shit, so, you know, he's got to start <laughs> training a little bit. Okay, well, good for him. As long as he comes out of it all right, that's great. Good experience for him. Yeah, like at the, at the moment he hits pretty hard, which is kind of annoying because it kind of bruises me everywhere. But uh, outside of that, he needs to learn to do things properly. And, you know, like um, he's got to start training properly, basically. That's where it boils down to. And I have no idea how to even, where to even get him started. So. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's tricky, huh? I mean, uh, there's a, it's like the thing with the internal arts, isn't it? You know, that idea that you start from internal power and release first, and then you build the art around it, uh, that kind of concept, which is why they stood and built all, all of these kind of concepts. I don't think they work. Like, I think people need external first. You just have to start there. If you want people to get good, it's my opinion, because um, before they have any kind of internal release, the problem is people don't know where their bodies are, do they? They just got no clue generally unless they're naturally very gifted with regards to where their hands and their feet are that would that would be my first take on it uh like I well i mean that's certainly sorry yeah that certainly seems to be the case um because um especially like um so for me i've been very biased about this for years in the sense that um i was always like kind of bias on the old school internals first approach mm. until I realized that I've been mucking around with this stuff since I was a kid. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like I was just walking off the street, you know. So, um, yeah. I think I forgot that little tidbit. And, um, yeah, I don't think that the internals first approach works for people who don't have a lot of experience in physical arts whether it doesn't matter, it doesn't, I don't think it matters that people have a background in the internal, but it's more so that um, people actually have a background in mucking around with like intricate physical movement and power type stuff, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, uh, when I started teaching, you know, as, as most people know, I was too young when I started teaching. Far too young. I shouldn't have been teaching. It was dangerous and irresponsible, really, but whatever. You know, times pass. And when I started teaching, I was like that as well. I was like, oh, we got to get the Dantian going and we got to get the Qi moving. We got to see. And then, yeah, I kind of had to step back and realize that I'd already done X amount of years of karate and, you know, kendo and stuff like this first. So I knew where my limbs were. So the first time I, I said to someone, for example, even something simple, you know, like put your mind on your abdomen. It was amazing that people didn't actually know, their mind didn't know where their abdomen was, for example. Or if you're saying, you know, like, 
if you're using the foot as a release point, for example, or whatever, the, the amount of people whose mind couldn't find their feet was incredible. And if you could see the location of their mind, it was like two foot outside their leg, or maybe it was up here by the shoulder or behind the back. And you realize, oh, okay, okay, we have to step back a little bit here. We got, we got some other stuff to do. It, it's funny that the, the mind-body integration is, is, even on a basic level, much, much harder than people think. Uh, or much harder than I thought when I started teaching, that's for sure. It's crazy, like, um, you know, in 2010 or whatever that, whatever it was, when I first met uh, Master Sam Chin, like, I asked him, like, um, you know, there's, there's, in Elixir, they start with this exercise called rocking, which is basically shifting your weight back and forth mm. on your foot, which is a, the most basic version of it, right, which is the most fun foundation version of it. So... Um, so I was really surprised. I'm like, what's the point of doing this, you know? Yeah. And um, so Master Sam basically explained to me how that drill opens up to other different aspects. So there are certain different levels to it. Mm -hmm. But um, at the very beginning level, like literally just shifting your weight back and forth on your foot, he said, was um, absolutely necessary for a lot of people to get sensation in their foot as to where their center of gravity might be going through in the foot. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of came as a surprise at the time, but, you know, I conveniently ignored that later on and yeah, forgot sure. about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think that's really sensible. I, I think as well, like, so, okay. People can get benefit, can't they, from, from activating the, the internal body and, you know, all of these different things, mental release and stuff like that. That's true. There's a huge amount of benefits. But I think also I personally underestimated the usefulness of people actually finding out where their body was anyway. Like, for many people, that's groundbreaking to even know where their limbs are. It prevents them stumbling around and walking into people on the pavement and slipping up on ice and all those kind of things, which are, you know... I think as people age, is definitely an issue, isn't it? I mean, if you walk into the high street and you watch people, or main street, if you walk people walking up and down, I'm surprised they survive. The amount they <coughs> bump into each other and lampposts and slip on things, that I think coordination should be a <laughs> first step for, for many people anyway. No, this is absolutely true. I mean, I'm, I'm very much coming to that cam and especially the other the other thing is that you know that like i think one of your uh, one of your students in the internal arts academy i think he's an academic i'm sorry for uh, forgetting his particulars but uh, i think he's a uh, he's a he's a uh, very experienced academic and he basically uh, afforded me like a whole bunch of research on how what someone what a chinese teacher would call empty shapes Right. Okay. Even yeah. practice that, the yeah. unique benefits that ha that has on people, and um, so I've, I've completely changed my perspective on this in the sense that um, I'm actually glad that there are people out there um, teaching other people empty shapes for the so-called empty shapes sure. for the simple reason that it obviously helps in the way that you've been talking about, and also um, the community aspect of it is not to be, you know, not to be uh, taken lightly either. No, no, and it, if I were to look at it in the negative light, if it allow me, I think that, um, you know, like, if, if you're, how do I say this, if you're semi-good at something, or say you're, okay, say you're bad at something, 
somebody who's even moderately good will look amazing. You know what I mean? Like we, we have seen the differential yep. between our own standard, aren't we? And I think that it's yep. part of the reason why people look at the sort of, say you take Tai Chi or something, and they're just kind of what I would consider fairly not Tai Chi, but it, it's flowing and flamboyant and flexible and loose and low, the kind of wushu decorative kind of stuff. But I think the reason to many people that it looks amazing is because they don't have flexibility or coordination or any idea where their body is. So it's kind of like that step above looks amazing to you. And, and I think that that kind of epitomizes a lot of the martial art world, because if you have coordination and you have control of your body, you look at those things and you think, mm, well, why, why is that amazing? Why is that interesting? But if you put yourself in the shoes of like you're stumbling around day to day and tripping over shit, then obviously that stuff's going to look cool. So when I started looking at it like that, I developed an appreciation for the importance of that kind of stuff, that kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it has its place uh, for sure. And, and I've, I've joined wushu schools in China, which nearly killed me. Fuck me, the fitness you require for a bloody wushu school is crazy, especially when every other student in there is like 12 years old and you're in your 30s or, or something. And, but um, yeah, definitely there was lots of benefit from the bodywork. Even if there was, you know, they wouldn't know internal, it, it slapped them around the face. But it doesn't matter, you know, it's all cool. Like, more power to people. I think it's great. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting because kind of, kind of where things are sitting at right now, um, I, I must be doing something right because I'm in that situation where everyone hates me. Like, on the external camp, they hate me because I point out that there's a lot more to the kind of movement that they do yes. in the internal art than they can even imagine. <laughs> and the internal folks hate me because um, I, I, I kind of point out that internal is no magic bullet, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you can be as internally skilled as you want, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, if you have no chi, if you have no juice, if you have no endurance, your survival chances in any encounter, whether it's really life-threatening or not, is somewhat limited, right? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I, maybe it's it okay if I put a little um, ex explanation in here. In case does, anyone doesn't know my friend, Joey, um, and not everybody hates him. I love Joey. I think Joey's awesome. <laughs> I thought Joey was awesome from the, the day I met him, to be honest. But I did, I've had many a good laugh with Joey. But Joey is... Um, I think it's fair to say, correct me if you feel insulted or mislabeled in some way, Joey, but Joey is uh, quite active on the online martial arts scene, Tai Chi world, Qigong world, uh, and various other martial arts, and he seems to manage to get into spats and fallouts with pretty much everybody at some stage. That's his skill. And I would say that if any fault were to be on Joey's part, it would be that sometimes, Joey, you lack subtlety. <laughs> is that ah, <laughs> <laughs> see, see, this is interesting, right? Like this part is interesting because um, yeah, a large amount of the time it is intentional, like yeah, okay. Um, okay. in the sense that, like sometimes you have to shock the system for to get people to listen or consider. Yeah. Right, and because most of the time in the modern world, we are dealing with so much information that has no real significance to our lives. Yes, we yeah. tend to develop this survival instinct yeah. to reduce our cognitive burden to not 
look into things deeply. You know, like we get hear something, we get emotionally outraged for 30 seconds and then we move on to the next, right? Mm, yep. Sometimes for, to get people to truly consider something, you have to sort of present it in a way that offends them at their core. And, you know, I mean, they might end up hating you and most will, but at the end of the day, there is a chance that they might listen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, the, the other side of the coin is obviously, you know, you don't really want to. There are some people who are so, like, who are so overwhelmed by everything that they only need a little nudge to go over the edge, right? So, you know, you need to, you kind of need to play it by the ear. I mean, there's no, like, one rule for everything. And, you know, so, you know, it's like, anyway, bottom line is that, like, I don't really mean any, I don't really have any negative feelings for any of these people. It's just that sometimes, you know, I basically cut through the chase yeah. and put things at the least common denominator level so that everything is, you know, out there and not dancing around the bushes kind of thing. No, no. And I think um, knowing you, I also know you to be a deeply compassionate person. You're certainly a lot kinder than I am <laughs> with regards to your actual nature. But um, you do, you, I think you just give as good as you get. People are pretty, people are pretty harsh online they're pretty cruel to each other and uh you know i think you just you just return what you get but there's another side to it joey as well that i have to tell you the problem you have is i think joey that um you also have a very very unique brain so i think you your understanding your intelligence is very very high and sometimes when you write things um, I have to read it three or four times. So I read what you wrote, and I read it, and then by the third time, I'm like, fuck, that's true. Like, that, what Joey has said is accurate, but now I've read it three or four times, I feel pretty thick, because <laughs> I have to interpret it. And I think that's happening sometimes when I see people respond to you, that I think, I think you set off their insecurities with regards to their intelligence uh, a little bit as well, because it's quite hard work to get through some of your explanations, but then the internal arts aren't easy. So they, it's not surprising that explanations are going to be complex. You can't strip it down to a sound bite, can you really? I don't think so. Not really. I mean, this is the thing, right? I mean, um, you know, the thing is that, yes, there is some inherent simplicity at the very foundational underlying level, right? Mm. But the thing is, from that simplicity, we have a lot of emergent complexity, right? Yeah. So... At the planes of manifestation where these things occur, where these phenomenon, phenomena take place, yes. there's a lot of complexity. Even it might be coming from a very simple source, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of complexity, right? Mm. So the phenomena themselves are not really that simple, actually, you know? No, not at all. So, no, no. I mean, how complicated is it to get the body to do something intricate? I mean, if you look at like a, a really good dancer, like a, a contemporary dancer, you watch them do body pop like fucking hell the body control is crazy like the, the skill they need exactly. for that. so how complicated is the chi going to be and how complicated is the mind going to be like it it's going to be more intricate especially as you don't have a, a really clear physical somatic or visual feedback for a really long time do you so you know it's definitely going to be complicated well i mean that's the thing right like say for example like take something like swimming or riding a bicycle for example right i mean like simple things yeah if you were to describe it as a mechanical process, like how bloody complex is that going to be, right? Like, I mean, uh, it's, of, of course, it's, there's a simplicity to it when you learn it, when you train it over time. 
there's a simplicity to it, right? It's just like, you know, you basically sit on the bicycle and pedal. That's it, right? And don't fall. You know, that's easy enough, right? Throw yourself in but, the water and thrash your arms and legs around, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is not this is not a mechanical description of what's going on there mm. to any level of granularity. It's just basically the simplicity of how you do it once you know how to do it, right? Yeah. But that description is not going to help you get to know how to do it or train how to do it. At some point, you have to get on a bike, right? Yeah. And trial and error, you've got to let your mind and body figure out how to not fall off the bloody thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and also propel yourself, right? Yes. And I think that's the difficulty with communication by the written language as well, especially for something like this, because of the direct experience that's needed. It, it almost makes... I mean, communication on a, on a you know, written level is always going to be difficult. And, and it's quite surprising how many people will engage with a written format discussing something like the internal arts. And they some, then say something like, this is too many words or too much communication. And it's like, well... Exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, what do you expect? And that's the well, like, what are you talking <laughs> about? You know, like, yeah. You know, it's so funny because, like, you know, with, with you, with, with Adam, with Master Sam, with... Steve Jimmy and you know all these people and Mark and all these people. When I talk to them about internal arts, it's always about the subtlest nuance on like how one tuning one parameter is more efficient than tuning another parameter in a very particular situation and so on and so forth, right? Yep. But most people online, like it's that level of intricacy and detail, right? So most people online, on the other hand, <laughs> it's like stupid shit like, is she real? Right? I mean, at the end of the day, like, who really cares? Right? Yeah, if that is something that is going to help you acquire the skills you want, you work with it. Mm. You know, like, like, for example, right? When you're like, you know, you know, like when you're training athletes, right? When you tell them to visualize or imagine, I know both you and I don't like the visualization or imagination side of things, but, you know, when they do that, they're basically not telling them to create some kind of temporal distortion in the physical realm. Yes. They're basically get, giving their brains an opportunity to prime itself on what success looks like, right? Yes. So the brains can basically help deliver that outcome by doing the right things in a more coordinated manner that you can't just do by mechanically using your conscious mind, right? Yes, yeah. So, so it doesn't mean that these athletes are basically time traveling, right? Sure. I mean, you know, in some abstract sense, their brains are, right? Yeah. But they're not physically time traveling. But, you know, it's just a commonly used technique to, in many, in many professions, to essentially prime your brain with what success looks like, right? I mean, this is the same that happens when a pilot maps out the road to fly, right? I mean, so... Yeah. In a sense that, like, you know, all these rocket scientists would call it woo-woo, but, you know, this is not, these are not things that happen only in the internal realm. The fact of the matter is that human beings are such complex machinery that our conscious mind doesn't have the bandwidth to control all the elements and have all the necessary positions and coordination to get these things done. Yep. So you have to have some mechanism of what cognitive neuroscientists call aggregate information 
mm-hmm. and perceptions to work with that do all the underlying coordination. Yep. And this is the genius with the Chinese systems because they have figured out all these mental models and perceptual models of experience to work with these things and achieve this really precise coordination across a large part of the mind and body mm. to do amazing things. Yeah. yeah. And you know <laughs> like but if you can't cross that first bridge, right? that you're working with the perceptions of your mind, trained perceptions of your mind, and getting them to achieve real-world outcomes. If you can't get beyond that, beyond that um, you know, Rubicon, you're never going to basically have any success because you're constantly trying to reduce this to something that you can manage at a conscious level, which is impossible, really. Yep. Yeah, completely. And it's, uh, it, I think as well, like, I think especially with the internal art, something like that, I think that the difficulty as well is that, of course, for a lot of people, depending upon how they feel about life and themselves and their own abilities, then those, as you say, sort of conscious uh, models or paradigms that should open up, I think they just get restricted by insecurity generally. So instead of their mind or their perception becoming a tool that's really useful, like amazingly useful, just open you up and wow, access all this stuff, it actually just becomes a barrier. So the thing that should be working for them is mm-hmm. working against them generally, which is brings me back to really, like to tackle, to teach people effectively, whether I manage it or not, who knows, but the ideal would be that you have to get those mental barriers out of the way. And I think for a lot of us, small achievements on a doable level gradually one after another incrementally allow the mind's barriers to get out of the way so you can open up to deeper and deeper levels of training and, th- and that brings you back to external first again doesn't it it's like if we can conquer that and you're happy that your choir is activated and you found the yao and you know what it is and your arms and legs are doing what they want and your body feels better the mind opens up a bit and then you can go a bit deeper and a bit and you kind of you kind of work your way in and, th- and then it's not long before yeah like the things you're talking about start to open up so the biggest challenge is how do you help people get their awareness or their attention to a point when they can even do these things in the internal arts? And, you know, that's a challenge. That, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I, think, I think you touched on a very, very important point there. And now that I think about it, I think that, you know, the, the manageable bite-sized chunks yeah. or steps yeah. of introducing this to people, I think, I think that's the key. This reminds me of something like about 10 years ago when I met Alex Kostik, who's an amazing human being yeah. and a very skilled martial artist, and uh, he has his own system called Homo Ludens that he okay. teaches these days, and uh, he has a, a lot of experience in system and a lot of different arts, right? Okay. And um, about 10 years ago when I met him um, at, a, at a workshop, one of the things that really struck me with his approach at the time was that um, he was simply getting people to experience the sensation of having space to move, right? So, um, because, because, um, because having no room to move is very strongly associated with uh, the brain's inability to, to basically recognize 
available degrees of freedom or available degrees of power in any situation, right? Yeah. And um, Alex was using this very simple concept of feeling spaciousness, right? And it wasn't even empty space, in the, I don't think, from memory. I think it was just spaciousness, right? Sure, yeah. He was using this concept. He was using this simple idea to introduce a level of internal movement and operation to a group of people. I mean, you know, not that they were like a lot of BJJ guys there. Like, they weren't people off the street. They had martial arts experience, sure. but only what you would call extent, right? Yeah. But the level of success he had with that, over the world weekend, with working with the idea of spaciousness and the sensation of spaciousness in your body, yes, it was really impressive. Like yeah. what you what you achieved, and um, that that impressed me immensely. And I think that um, that kind of illustrates what you're talking about in terms of introducing or opening people's minds or perception at a manageable, bite-sized level, step by step, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and that, that, that feeling of, of what you're calling, uh, or Alex, Alex what, what was his second name? Um, Alex Kosick. Kosick, oh, never heard of him, sorry, but uh, I'll look him up. Uh, that, that concept as well, I mean, very much that idea is not that dissimilar from what you feel when you touch somebody's arms, right, in, in a contact. Absolutely. Uh, in a contact uh, within Tai Chi or, or something, or whatever art you're doing, it, it doesn't matter that trapped, stuck people feeling that people get when you start to sort of uh, open up a little bit. I mean, that's really what it is, yeah? Exactly, absolutely. And um, so, so all, these, um, all these aggregate perceptions or integrated perceptions or integrated information, as they're all differently called from different domains, yeah. they, they, they actually relate to a lot of underlying conditions and the brain integrates this information together to give you this one sensation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they're very powerful. Like they're very, very, very powerful. Like for example, um, in the you know in the interlast, for example, you know the whole uh, idea of asking Jin and how it is related to the sensation of what your feet would feel like if you were standing in the uh, in the surf, yeah. and as the as the um, as as the water recedes, your feet sink into the ground, right? So how that is related to that sensation? the ask engine, how that is related to that sensation and the specific effects that it has on the lower half of the spine. I mean, there are some really um, direct physical implications of all these perceptual model, models or, or perceptual frameworks, right? And, um, you know, if someone doesn't know that, if someone hasn't experienced it firsthand, they probably look at it and go like, oh, what is this bullshit? You know, I'm not going to sit there and imagine my feet are going to the ground, right? So it's not, the key is not the imagining part. Yeah. The key is that when you have the expectation of having that perception, what does your body do to facilitate that, right? Yeah. That's the trick. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so when, when, I, um, when I first met you, when I first met you quite a lot of years ago now, seven or eight, six, seven, eight, I don't know. Number 2015? Something like yeah. that, isn't it? 20, yeah, well, so back <laughs> seven eight. years ago. I don't know. You've got a better memory than me for these things. Um, what what uh, surprised me when I um, worked, when I touched you the first time was your ability to transform and change on the inside is quite remarkable, um, especially for no offence, I don't mean this in a funny way, but a guy your size, and I mean height and 
width. I don't, I don't mean body mass, but I mean just normally when I, I meet, because you're, you're a fair bit taller than me, and, and when I, whenever I've touched larger people generally, I find that actually they struggle a bit more. Maybe there's more body to get activated, there's more body to move, there's more body to get the mind into. But what I would call your hua was uh, incredibly good. Uh, and, and listening or, or paying attention through your body was quite remarkable how much it all shifted on the inside. And I think that it's quite funny when I see, I, I do see your squabbles online sometimes. <laughs> Make me chuckle. And, and quite often the amount of people were like, and if I saw Joey, I'd throw him on the phone. I'm thinking, actually, I think Joey would be more of a handful than you, you might realize, actually. So would you, would you mind, in as long-winded and technical a fashion as you, as you like, I don't mind at all. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about this concept for you. How did you do that to your body? I'm very interested. And, and what is it that you, you feel in your words you're doing on the inside? Ten words or less. You know, it's funny. Like, um, so it may not be as wholesome as you would have imagined. Like, I, I mean, I don't know, right? To be I don't honest, imagine I don't anything wholesome with you, Joey. Not at all, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you know me too well. So... So basically, right, yeah. I, I think, I mean, you know, I've, I've been overweight at multiple points in my life, right? So um, I, I guess the only time I was really thin was like up until like five years or six years or whatever. And then uh, when I was playing basketball, right? Yeah. So outside of that time period, I've generally been overweight, right? Uh, I, but I have also done all this crazy stuff, right? I, I, like, um, I, meant, the, I meant your height, to be perfectly honest, and, and just the general size of you, because taller people, there's a lot more coordination needed usually. Yeah, so a part of it, I think, is that, you know, I was studying the Sri Lankan, like, Warmakalai-based stuff at a young age, and I was, yeah. you know, I started doing, like, martial arts when I was, like, six or seven or whatever it was, right? Yeah. So I think that played a large role, but realistically speaking, honestly, Matt, I think if I was to sort of think about it and drill it down to a survival skill type situation, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would say that, you know, being pissed drunk and dancing all night probably was the one that did it. Because, you know, it's bloody hard to be like not be able to walk straight and yeah. be on the dance floor for like six hours, right? Without yeah. like completely <laughs> plastering yourself on the on the floor, right? So so maybe maybe and, you've got your answer as to how to teach new people. Maybe it's take them out for some really hard, heavy Friday nights out or something. Maybe that's the key. Well, you know, if I don't know if Friday, one Friday night out is going to do it because I used to party like five nights, five nights a week when I was in my early 20s. Sure. Okay. Yep. So, um, no, I mean, I really do think that there is something to it. I mean, I'm not suggesting that anyone does it, but I'm just pointing out that, you know, like when, you, when you're in a really sort of a balanced, impaired situation and when you don't have the neuromuscular control that you would often have, at least at a conscious level, to be able to maintain the balance. And, you know, and the other part of it is that to basically give your body up to the music, right? Okay. Like, I think, I think it all plays part. Yeah, okay. And, um, I mean, honestly, I think, I think that has a lot to do with it, <laughs> to be honest. Like, um, I mean, I would, I, would, I, would, I would like to make up some high and mighty story, but I think that's it, Brad. I, I think, I think to, to disagree with you and to counter that, I must argue with that, is I, I assume you must have um, a fairly good degree of mental absorption at the same time, even if that's an inherent quality for you, because I know many, many people, including myself, 
who partied excessively and danced excessively when younger, who didn't get the same results. So there's a different there's a different factor there. So there must be a mental aspect to it as well. Otherwise, yeah, the, the entire of the UK yeah, I mean, would have amazing transformation ability because and Australia too. I mean, they're both countries of alcoholics, right? So. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so I think I think that as a child, I was like since I was a child, I was very much into music, right? So um, I think that has a part to do with it. Like you know, my both my parents actually have a background in the arts. So I think even from a very young age, I'm known to be very pedantic of what I listen to and listening to all kinds of music from a very very young age, right? So uh, I think that had a lot to probably has a lot to do with it. Okay. Because yeah. um, because I, I think like when you think about the physical qualities, like giving yourself up to the music and letting the music move you, so to speak, right? I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot in there, right? Yeah. And especially add add a ton of alcohol to it, right? Sure. <laughs> and um, and at having done that for like four or five hours to it, and I think that there's something there. I'm not. I'm not recommending this to anyone. But I'm just saying, you know, you know what they say, right? God loves drunks and fools, right? So I've been working half, half, hedging on both. So sure. some of it probably worked out. Okay. <laughs> and yet at the same time, the uh, podcast episode I did with Adam, where we were both drinking whiskey, got all kinds of abuse from the internal art scene. But little did they know we were training our our foire ability, our transformation at the same time. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, okay. So a lot of people, a lot of people would. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into detail here for obvious reasons, right? Okay. But uh, but one of the one of the key things that have always helped me, yeah, was the ability to experience a physical sensation and the ability to recall it after the fact, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's major, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not sure where that comes from, to be honest, but um, that is something that has helped me a lot learning from different teachers and, and also learning from substances, right? I mean, substances are teachers, right? I mean, you know, you don't need to get addicted to something and indulge something, but, you know, you can experience something and sometimes replicate it, right? So uh, I'm without, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm kind of feeding the, I'm kind of pleading the fifth man, fifth year. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not going to go into the details. But I, I'm, go, I'm um, going to turn this talk into bullet points for Joey Nishad's guidance to internal mastery. So far, it's <laughs> alcohol, music, substances. I guess we just have to add uh, fornication into it as well, and we got the whole set, right? Well, you know that, that's a, that's a funny thing, though, right? Like, um, I mean, this is probably. <laughs> Again, I'm probably going to get into all kinds of trouble by saying this, but yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the thing is, right? There's an amazing level of peace and honesty, right? That happens right after a man ejaculates, right? <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Point number one, right? Or guilt. And <laughs> and point number two is that when you're working yourself up to up to an orgasm, to be able to step back from that, yeah, and Put things in perspective and go deeper. It has, I mean, it's, it's helped me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. There's, 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 I mean, I'm not talking about this whole like you know lasting for six hours or you know all that bullshit, right? I don't even, couldn't care less, right? 
Well, it's just inefficient. But, it's better if you can get it done in 30 seconds, right? More time for training. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, so, so the thing is, like, any heightened state where you go into compulsion, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, like, you know, orgasms are a lot safer than going and, like, challenging a bunch of bikers in a biker bar, right? So... <laughs> Can be. I mean, I don't know. The consequences can be. I, I, I think like orgasms can be a lot more wholesome in that way. <laughs> in some settings, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than like you know getting yourself in life and death situations, but the reality is that whenever you are in a situation where there is significant evolutionary bias to switch you into compulsions of the acquired mind and get you trapped there, right? Yeah. The ability to step back from that and look at the deeper aspects of our existence has a lot of value, right? I mean, this is why I find that, you know, like, this is why I find, like, you know, wrestling is, like, top rest, like, you know, not maybe not top, but, you know, good wrestlers and wrestling coaches yes. is really great because for internal people, because you get to find that peace in all that craziness, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which, which is the far more boring, I would say, path that I primarily took into understanding these concepts to whatever level I've achieved was under, under, mm -hmm. great, under great stress more than anything else. I've exactly. struggled and fought my way through this whole system, really. Well, this is the thing, right? Like, um, you know, like... You know, when, when you're when you when there's when there's like hundred and fifty kilos resting on your chest and you need to lift it up to get out of it, <laughs> out from under it, right? Yeah. It's a whole different mindset to like, you know, sitting in a nice Japanese garden and you know, sipping your green tea and you know what I mean? Do you know it's funny, right? Because that, that there, the weight of the person on you, say you're grappling or something. That's what a lot of yep. people are kind of releasing against or learning to become comfortable with or finding space with or whatever. For me, it never was. It never was. And I think it was because I started as a kid. So therefore, I was always smaller than everybody else because there was no kids' classes when I was younger. So that, I'm kind of immune to that. Okay. But I'm really turned off by body fluids. So the sweaty, sort of stinky person on top of me, that's what I'm trying to deal with. It's like my own repulsions while I'm doing... That, that's that's my there's my meditation in movement. That's what I'm working on. Well, there you go. Perfect training, man. You know, like disgusting. the thing is, growth does not happen in comfort, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't care what people have to say about it, but growth does not happen in comfort. And I know this through personal experience. I know this through watching other people go through growth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, growth does not happen in comfort, right? No. I mean, obviously, obviously, there's a balance, right? I mean, the, the growth happens in how you respond to stresses. But if, you're, if the stresses are greater than your capacity to overcome them, obviously, over time, it's going to basically grind you down. So, obviously, there's a, there's a, there's a balance there to be had. It, but it is like without, without stresses or hormetic stresses and discomfort, there's no room for growth. And the problem with comfort is that it actually creates complacency. It actually makes you weaker. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you stronger. It doesn't even leave you at the same level. It actually makes you weaker. Yeah, yeah, completely. I even saw that from growing up in, in discomfort, really, with regards to lifestyle and training, and then becoming, well, 
to be perfectly honest, a little bit more wealthy and living a little bit more comfortable and then finding myself in a position when I was teaching rather than training, which always means you're the most comfortable person in the room, that yeah, it's bad for you. It's bad for you. So you have to find a way to recreate or regenerate that stress that you don't, you don't get when you're in a privileged position of, of just running everything, you know? Exactly. And um, as one teacher once said to me, like, you know, you don't want to get into a situation where you're practicing the deadly art of dying slowly, right? <laughs> it's like, um, you know, <laughs> there's, 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 no, there's no real drive there. You're just basically finding one distraction after another until you pass time till you die. Right? That's kind of what it is. Sure, sure, sure. Or, um, or at worst, you're jumping from one compulsion to another, right? All right, so I'm, I'm, going, to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question, Joey. And obviously, I have my opinions on it, which I, I'm sure you're familiar with, with my views, but I'm interested in your take on it. Is Obviously, we're talking about previously a paradigm with the mind or perception opening up in order to fuel the training and the development, right? Uh, and moving that direction. Mm -hmm. But then there is the other side of it, isn't there? That what was a paradigm of perception then actually becomes a literality. Like it actually becomes literal. It becomes manifest on the level of the physical and almost, I would say, defies logic or certainly limited logic. I think is probably safe mm -hmm. to say. And I think that that goes as far as anything from body movement or internal manipulation or the ability to find space on the inside, whether we're talking physical or mental, or even through to the paradigm of that stumbling block for many people in the early stages of chi, which even that becomes literal at a later stage. Mm -hmm. or, or that's my take on it. Maybe you could, would you like to riff off of that and say something <laughs> controversial? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, apparently that's all that I do, right? <laughs> you know, I say good morning and people are like, what the fuck, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Um, so I, I think I think if I was to be candid about it, I think that my working theory on this, right? I mean, you know, like I, I only have working theories, right? I don't know what is real, what is not. I mean, who the fuck knows, right? Sure. My, my current working theory on this, right, is that based on the data that I have so far, yeah. is that the role of, that consciousness plays in reality is a lot more significant than what we tend to ordinarily give credit to, I would say. Yeah. And, um, you know, like there are, there are some interesting scientific hypotheses which basically um, argue the case that there is an underlying, like everything that we experience as physical and mental are merely projections on the relevant planes of an underlying process that we don't have direct access to, right? Yeah. I think there is a lot of merit to it. I mean, of course, at the moment, we can't either prove or disapprove it, right? Yeah. So along the same lines, I believe that consciousness, based on the data that I have right now, Right. My working theory is that consciousness underpins the experience of reality to a very, very significant extent that the reality is shaped by it, right? Yeah. And I'm not talking about bullshit like, you know, the bloody, whatever they call it, like, you know, how they, like, you know, whatever the, they had, like, this entire phenomenon where someone basically talked about how if you imagine something, it'll become real and, oh, you know, blah, uh, blah, blah, right? Law of attraction? No. 
Is it that? Yeah, thing? like all that bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that bullshit, right? Yes. So I, I don't mean it in such a superficial sense, but I mean it in terms of perception, right? Yeah. Like, for example, perception, like how you structure your perception, your beliefs that lead to your pure consciousness to create that fabrication of perception, I think that has a very direct impact on reality. Yep. And um, in many ways, I think we are limited by the mind, right? And one thing that I know, of the, like, with internal practice, if, if someone has asked what is the most important thing I learned about internal practice is that you don't know anything, right? What hopefully, if your practice is going well, what you know today is either partially true or completely untrue tomorrow, yep. right? That's if your practice is going well. Yeah. So, like one of my dear friends put it, you know, it's like climbing a ladder, right? If you don't let go of the current run that has helped you get to the current level yes. to reach out to the next one, you're going to be stuck there, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like the the folks who I know who continuously improve and get better to the point where people don't even believe that what they do is real anymore. Yes. Having seen these people over the years, having seen the way they continuously refine and sometimes radically change how they look at things, you know, even if I'm not talking about my personal experience, I could say that until you let go of the security of the belief that you know, yeah. or in other words, until you can embrace the uncertainty and the fact that what you know today is definitely going to be changed tomorrow, right? Like, unless you accept that, it's going to become a limitation. Yeah. All knowledge is going to become a limitation. Actually, if you look at, I mean, I can't talk about everyone else, but I did spend a lot of time looking into how my stupid mind works, or at least how it concocted the story of how it worked. <laughs> right? oh, sure. and, and when you look at it, in terms of the underlying processing fabric, there is a cognitive burden to knowledge mm. in the sense that um, to consider all the variables in a way that it's accessible to the consciousness is a very burdensome process and you tend to miss a lot in that state. Yeah. So the, only by letting go of what you know is how you can create the bandwidth for the mind to basically consider other things and bring it up to your conscious experience, whether as a direct, a more direct uh, kind of perception or more of an aggregate kind of perception. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a sliding scale, right? I mean, everything is an aggregate perception, really, when you think about it. So, so yeah, like, I mean, it's, yeah, I, my experience, I would say, from what you, what you explained, is very much consistent with yours in the sense that the the, the 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 belief structure or the framework you apply to the raw information that comes into your processing fabric that creates that conscious experience and the conscious experiencer 
has a significant impact on reality. Yeah, and, and that brings us, I think, um, back to the skill of teaching, isn't it? The difficulty of it is if you're trying to teach someone, you almost have to kind of go back in time with regards to what your old conceptual models were in some ways, because your conceptual model yep. has to be relevant to the people that you're, you're teaching. So you kind of have to remember, like, hang on, where was I? What did I think 15 years ago? Hello, that was a Russian bringing you a gift. <laughs> All right, nice. Should we see what it is? I'll cut this bit out, don't worry. It's a, it's a yeah. very mid- I'll hear it. <laughs> they know me. It's like they know me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's, a, that's a friend of mine who, um, who lives here, lives in, lives in Ubud. So I'll catch up with them a bit. Um, yes, yeah, so what was I saying? Yeah, I mean, that. that I meet anyone there. Eh? Him or her? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'll introduce you when you come over. He's a he's a nice fella. Um, yeah, that's what I was saying. Go back to teaching. Like I think that's part of the difficulty, isn't it? That if you try to introduce someone into your paradigm that you're working with at the moment, then it becomes difficult because you have to kind of if if the borders of your perception are like a limit, you have to kind of stretch them gradually. Otherwise, you get difficulties. And this is sometimes what I've seen when teaching is I've seen like abject beginners. You know, they've done three months, four months training, something like this. And then they encounter a very, very complicated paradigm that's true, but is limiting for them. And the problem is, it's almost like the intellect clings to that idea long before they can directly do it within the body. And it becomes limiting. Yeah. So you, you almost need a very mature student, or even in yourself, a mature approach to training. Because if someone asks you about those things, my answer will be, Yes, that's true. Yeah, this is accurate. But let's put it aside for now. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to lie to people, but I'm like, let's come back to it. And the problem is, especially now with the delusion of information online, that people are going to encounter paradigms that are beyond where they are. And as you can see, what does it generate? It either generates some people that intellectually jump three miles ahead of where they are, or it creates conflict because people that are very sort of embroiled in the state they're at, this is where I'm at, this is what's real will kind of rebel against those things and it creates anger, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, like, um, so for example, see for Kelly Graham, right? Like, yeah. um, of Tucson. And he, like, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated with him, maybe I didn't appreciate it at the time as much, but over time, something that I've become to really appreciate is that whenever you would ask him something, instead of giving you an answer, he will give you he will give you, I mean, obviously most of the time, he will give you some type of practice that will help you to discover yourself. Yes. Like he'll say, oh, do this, yep. right? Rather than telling you how it is, he will basically tell you, that, go and do this, right? So um, I really, the, the more I practice, the more I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and um, so my best, my, best, my best teacher in these arts was a little bit different in the sense that, um, so... He had spent a lot of time figuring out how to teach. And um, for someone who didn't really have any students, which is quite interesting, um, and, and his take on it was like, once I figured out what it takes to teach, I didn't want to teach. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, so one of the things that the way he taught me, one of the things that he brought onto everything was that he, he basically said, like every work, every drill that we do, every practice that we do, there needs to be the causal conditions yeah. 
and there need to be the consequential conditions. So you can you can be effectively create a pair of cause and effect yep. that your brain can get primed on, and you need to let go and let the mind and body figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. Yep. And yep. on top of that, he actually had a set of confirmatory conditions where if you're doing the right thing, you will observe these confirmatory things happening. Yes. Like they weren't what they weren't necessarily what you were supposed to learn through it, but they were just basically the framework that you know that you're doing the right thing the right way. Yes. And the observations themselves that you're supposed to glean from it, he never told them anyway because he didn't want to basically, as he said, sully the mind with it. Right? Yes. Um, so for someone who didn't have students, I think that, that was, that's kind of genius in the way that um, you can project things. It's, it's and I try yeah. to do that when I share things with people so that, you know, so that you give them the tools to be able to keep it real and not get like, you know, not kind of get lost in La La Land, right? It, and um, another thing is that I know that you guys have your differences, but um, one of the things that, like one of the things that Mark opened my eyes up to at a very early early stage was that um, in order to communicate something with someone, right, mm. it doesn't matter what your mental model is. It's not going to help them, right? So you have to look at how they would perceive what, they, what you're basically trying to communicate to them. So you have to spend some time trying to understand how they look at it, what are the what are the what are the foundation vocabulary? What is the foundation vocabulary from the experience that you can use to frame what you're trying to get across, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I I've, like it's sort of like you know when you're when you're talk when you're speaking to someone who speaks a different language, right? Yes. There's no point of waxing lyrical all the great truths in the world in your language that they don't understand. Yeah. So you have to spend some time understanding learning a little bit of their language so you got actually have a common vocabulary to work with with some shared meaning right and then you can build on from that yeah yeah I so I, I i should uh, probably elaborate on that with, with what you said the problem i have with with mark rasmus is more to do with him as a person than his um teaching to be totally <laughs> honest so I, I i think many of his methods and certainly the uh the way that he mentally approaches the teaching of the internal arts i think there's a lot of value in what he's doing. Otherwise, even if I've had a personal disagreement with someone, I'll still uh, credit where it's due. If someone, people can still be good at something, even if you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously you're mature enough to do that, but not many people are, unfortunately. You know, it's just basically, well, this is one of the other things, you know, yeah. it's like I'm very used to this thing where, like growing up in Sri Lanka, it's just like, yeah. it's very, like, you know, there's something that I hated as a child was that the tendency that you had in the Sri Lankan culture or his, throughout the history, for example, yes. to dehumanize someone who doesn't agree with you on one thing. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, yeah. that's, that's really dangerous. <laughs> it, it's a shame. It's like not everybody can like everybody. Like, definitely not. And it's amazing how people mix up like or whatever with agreement. I don't know, like they're, they're strange how they get intertwined. There's people that I really, Adam, Adam obviously is a very close friend of mine, close friend of yours. 
But I don't agree with him on everything, and he doesn't agree with me. But that disagreement doesn't mean that we dislike each other. We just have a different viewpoint on certain things, and, and it, it's become. Yeah. Um, I think the internal martial arts world, or internal, or certainly the cultivation world, whatever you want to call it, should be one of the places where you can separate disagree and dislike into almost irrelevancies. That should be irrelevant. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it kind of goes deeper than that, right? Like the reality is, right, you know, if you look at it from a broader perspective, right? Mm. Like, you know, you say you and I disagree and we have two viewpoints about the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. There is some reality in there where both our viewpoints are valid and consistent, but we're looking at it from different perspectives, right? Yes. Yeah. And in, in considering the different viewpoints and exploring the reality where both these viewpoints can be correct from different vantage points, right? Yeah. There is an opportunity to learn more about the underlying reality than one on the availability of one, one, only one uniform perspective would allow you to do, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That becomes very evident as well, isn't it? I think sometimes, uh, like I've, I've seen, <laughs> I don't want to name anybody, but you know full well, that there's certain characters that have been using the same paradigm or model for what they do for a long time. For example, the way the Dantian is used in Chen style Tai Chi, for example, or something like this, that, that, is, that has become a very fixed thing. And it becomes very difficult with somebody like that because you, Personally, I, I want to recognize in this fabricated individual, this you know, made-up example, that I, I want to respect the amount of time that person has trained and their seniority and the years they've been in the art and the very fact that they've had an impact upon what everybody is doing, which is incredible. And yet, at the same time, when you try to communicate a different concept with them, that maybe there's another viewpoint, it, it's it gets shot down, it's impossible, and that person, this fabricated, imagined person, gets very, very angry because theirs is the only viewpoint, and the one they, 15 years ago, they discovered the key, and da 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 da. And it goes back to that thing that that would be to me a person that hasn't continued to change, so they don't disagree with who they were a number of years back. Yeah, I, exactly, right? And, and this was done in security, like Mike Sigmund, right? I know you don't want to name names, but Mike Sigmund is a classic example, right? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean, right? Like, you know, I wasn't thinking of anyone in particular, but okay. Really. <laughs> but, you know, you know, the thing is that you created an archetype that a fair few people fit to. So I'm <laughs> just taking Mike Sigmund as one example, but not that Mike Sigmund is the only example. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a phenomenon in the internal world, right? Like, the search, the search for the truth is so hard and it's such a huge task yes. that a lot of the time people tend to find something that kind of sort of works yes. and they basically tick that checkbox, the search is over yeah. and then they beat that to death and try to make that the de facto be all and end all for all situations yeah. for the rest of their lives because they just don't want to go back to the, the level of insecurity and effort that they were experiencing when they were searching for it, right? Yes. And, um, you know, and I'm sure that will happen to me as well. I mean, I'll probably get pulled to a point where I would go like, you know, screw it. You know, this is what it is. Sure. Like, yeah. I hope it, does, it doesn't happen, but, um, you know, it can happen, right? Because people get tired. People mm. get tired of putting in that drive towards searching for the truth. Yeah, I get and, it. Um, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it's, it's very, it would be much easier to fall back on a single concept and just kind of stay there, wouldn't it? And yep. Here's, here's an interesting example for you that, uh, that I find interesting is that if when I, for example, if I put up a, a video footage of me doing Tai Chi, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, or something like that, um, it's a long time ago, and it's based very much on transferring weight from one foot to the other, turning the waist, center line. Okay, because you're starting out, yep. you know, and that's where you start. Yep. And it, it's amazing that the amount of people that latch onto that and they're like, wow, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I love that. I love your practice. I love your art. And then if you put a recent video up where all of that's gone, it's like the hips turning doesn't matter, the weight transfers isn't there, you're now working on something inside. And, and in a way, you've contradicted everything that you used to do. It's amazing how negative the reaction to that is. It, it almost generates annoyance in people that you've moved away from what they believe to be the absolute truth of how an art works. Do you know what so I mean? This is, this is, yeah, I totally, I, totally, yeah, I totally agree with you. And this is an interesting phenomenon, right? Like if yeah. I look at my own mind, mm -hmm. the way my mind makes meaning of movement is yes. based on the movement patterns that I have experienced, largely in myself, but if yeah. I have experience of this movement pattern in someone else, that can come into play as well. Yeah. But largely my internal model for human movement is what I apply to what I visually see. And that is what I actually work with in deriving meaning, right? Okay. Yeah. So the problem is when you move in ways that the person who's watching has no concept of, mm. they can't make any sense of it, right? Yes. Yep. So for them, it looks fake. Mm -hmm. This is this is this is the thing, right? It just looks like how can this possibly work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because they have no notion of it. Right. Yes. So in some ways I sympathize with the pe with people when they do it, but at the same time, you know, at the same time, I'm still frustrated by the fact that people can't open their minds and accept that, you know, there could be something to this. Maybe yes, maybe no. Mm -hmm. Until I can experience it, until I have an internal model that makes sense of it, I will reserve judgment, right? It, it almost like, smacks me as like, you know, there's that story, isn't there, where they talk about, say, uh, uh, an old, you know, when you get old footage of a master of Yang style or Bagua or something, and then people always comment underneath saying, oh, the teacher was hiding the real thing in the video, or they didn't show it for what it really was. And, and I think of everybody's sort of paranoia, or, already jumps to, it must be because they had secrets, so they were holding something back. And I always wonder if it's just that phenomena, that they're simply showing what they know people could appreciate. Do you know what I mean? Like the basic nature of the mechanics was really, because if I showed what I really do, you wouldn't get it and you would think it was a mess or something, you know? Exactly, right? So, so this is something that so this is something that I've personally been in trouble with in the sense that I tend to be very pedantic about doing things at my at the best of my ability, at like to the same extent I can all the time for the simple reason that life is short, right? And I enjoy doing this. I enjoy I I'm trying to cultivate something, so why do why would I waste any opportunity to not do that, right? Yeah. Um, generally speaking, I tend to do things at the level I can to the best of my ability, which means that I can't do certain things. Yeah. So, um, so, so basically, 
people do get angry at me. Like they're like, oh, you know, we we start with this fixed pattern. Why can't you do this fixed pattern? My point is like, oh, I don't know. When I join to you, this is how I move. This is how things change, right? Yeah, I can't right. contrive this fixed pattern with the with what you're putting out, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah, just yeah. the way it is, right? Yes. If I was to contrive something, I'm not. I'm doing myself a disservice by wasting my time, and for what, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, so I, I can see. I can, I can appreciate like a lot of old masters in their personal practice or playing with their students, kind of coming to the same kind of situation. Mm. But when they're doing public recordings, you know, like for example, back in the day when it was such a big thing to have like photos taken or you know some kind of footage taken. Yes. Right. And even today, right? I mean, you know, people don't record videos for public consumption all the time. Like, I mean, you know, you and I and Adam, you know, we're just used to not caring about it and recording all the time. Yeah. But when people don't do it often enough, and it's a, it's a special thing, right? So they want to make the most of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is not unreasonable at all for someone very skilled to effectively leave some of the mechanisms out, no matter how annoying it is and no matter how difficult it is, to leave some of the mechanisms out and um, do it at a level that people would see. Yes. Like, like for example, right? I mean, like, Adam Bushan's videos of lead, right? Mm. You know, like, people basically call that fake, but when you find someone trying to do that at a very mediocre level and getting some results with a lot of effort, yes. they praise it. Yeah. Because they can... Yes. They can appreciate it. They can grok it, right? Wow. But Adam's stuff is so, so... There's also another factor in that as well. The the people that are appreciated are often Asian versions of Adam. Let's be honest, too. (laughs) That is true. That that is, I mean, absolutely true, right? (laughs) You know, one of my friends was telling me a story once about, like, him teaching some internal arts in college. And yeah. one day he was late for the class and there was this old Asian gentleman who was, yes. everyone was le- like, he, like he was a teacher, he was running the class, right? So when he came to the class, he was like, hey, you know, uh, by the way, who are you? You know, like, um, this is kind of my class. And, um, you know, and apparently the gentleman said that I came to learn from you, but everyone started asking me, so I started showing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the interesting part was that because he fit that role of a old Chinese teacher, mm. like I, I guess people assume that he must be the teacher, right? So why, and, why is it annoying to see someone of your own, what should we say, ethnicity, gender, whatever age, why is it more annoying to see somebody of your own sort of group or type doing something really well, rather than someone that is completely in a different group to you, if you know what I mean, like a cultural group or age group or something. Why do you think? I mean, you know, I, this is the thing, I can't speak for anyone else's experience, but I, like, especially if I do a bit of transfer of experience from one domain to another, I would say that, that you know, like, like, for example, right? I mean, if I was to imagine myself in this situation. So if I see someone vastly different to me doing something that I find very difficult, right, it's very easy for me to essentially attribute all those differences as potentially the reason why that person is successful at what they're doing while I'm not, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to someone who's very similar to me, say with the same experience, same background, right, doing something that I suck at, very, very, very well. 
that's a bit harder for me to deal with because, you know, like what is it that is wrong with me that he gets it and I don't, right? Because we are almost the same. Yep, yep, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a lot of that. It's a very basic, what would you call it, vice of our minds that we need to be able to see through in order to change that. I mean, that doesn't seem like a particularly complicated thing for someone who's doing a lot of introspective work to rise above, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the problem is, right, like, the problem is that this model of self that we have, right, mm. it is your worst enemy because it knows you so well, right? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. so it is the most worthy adversary you'll ever meet because the you you know as yourself is actually constructed by it. So, so it knows you better than you do yourself. I remember being in on a um, with a teacher I was with when I was younger, who was uh, from a Chinese uh, a Chinese guy. His whole family would teach, and he was uh, probably the first person I ever saw to do the sort of uprooting fajin, the sort of bouncing people around kind of fajin. Yep. Not the subtle sort of na hua na, but definitely the launch, you know. But it was beyond yep. rebounding. It was the next stage beyond that. And I I remember watching him teach, and I watched what his body did. And really, I think that's where I learned Fajim from, not from any particular instruction from it. I just watched what he did. And I watched, okay, that's mm -hmm. what his mind does. That's what his nervous system is doing. There's the sort of crunch point and there's the release. And I, and I so I got a bunch of people together and I practiced it and I got it within a few months, I would say. I, I just yeah. kind of recreated it. And I remember then being around the students of this teacher and sort of absentmindedly just fudging some people who were asking about it. And they, they abjectly told me, and I always remember this, no, only the Chinese can do that. That was their, that was their attitude. And I actually received huge amounts of, um, I would say, venom from that group. They, they, my, my popularity within that group dropped hugely after that uh, to such an extent that some of the students went to the teacher and requested I remove, remove from the school for, I quote, playing with things I didn't understand. That was the actual, like it was some kind of sci-fi movie or something like this. And I, I remember thinking, wow, that's quite incredible that that's embedded within the culture of the internal arts uh, to that degree. I was quite surprised by it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So this goes back to what we were talking about, the consciousness creating tangible features of reality, right? So yeah. in their reality, the ethnicity or the cultural background was essential for someone to get this skill and they were creating that reality in physical plane, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because of that belief structure. And, you know, anything that anything that effectively puts them in a position where now suddenly, oh, they have also the ability to do this, but that they don't know how to. Yes put them in an uncomfortable situation, right? So they'd rather, they'd rather ostracize you rather than deal with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter how ironic it sounds, that is the shortest term, like lowest cost solution to their mental burden that they have now received with like dealing with this new information that someone who is not from the Chinese ethnic background can do this in a few months with a little bit of, with the, with the right effort, right? Yeah, totally. And I, I think even aside from that as well, just on a practical level, they were locked in the mindset that there must be a physical technique involved that they've been trying to pick up. Whereas I was trying to explain yep. to him that I think he's doing it with his nervous system and his mind. Like I, that was what I was trying to get across, but I couldn't 
couldn't bridge that barrier to explain that to them either. It was difficult. You know, I mean, since I'm so popular, right, you know, why stop now, right? So if you look at the Aikido world, right, I mean, if you look at O-sensei's skill set and some of the skill set of his students, I would say that this was a fundamental barrier for a lot of his students for, for accessing his level of skill. Yes. Because they were looking at it as some type of physical movement without understanding that the precision of power and the coordination that he was getting was not by working with the muscles and the sinews independently to the conscious mind, it was through something else. Yeah. Like they simply would not entertain that possibility, right? And, uh, and I mean, you know, to be fair, like Posensei has a lot of writings that basically shed light on how he was perceiving these things to achieve the effects that he was achieving, right? Like, I mean, uh, there's accounts of how he was uh, able to perceive the path of a bullet like some kind of silver lining in space to be able to avoid it and things like that. So, yes. like a lot of these things get completely dismissed as musings of an old man. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah but tell me how to move my hand or move my elbow to get to the position I want to get, right? Even so I think there's a lot of that happening. And even if it's the musings of an old man, I mean, that's the mindset of somebody that achieved something great. So surely it's still relevant. Like it's still exactly. a yeah, logical part of it. Exactly. Mm. And, um, and, you know, like, I mean, the thing is, this is not, these are not, like, if you look at elite athletics, I yeah. keep going back to it, but if you look at elite athletics, right, they may not do these things to the same extent as it is done, you know, as the bread and butter in the internal arts, mm. yeah. but they also do very similar things, okay. right? And, um, and, you know, like, so, so, you know, a lot of people accept that anything that is based on Western science and, you know, elite athletics is perfectly valid and internals are all woo-woo, right? Yes. But when you look at it, there's a lot of similarity. I mean, obviously not to the same extent, but there's still that, right? And um, I mean, a simple, like even in boxing, right, or, or any kind of striking art, right? Essentially, you know, the idea that not punching the person, but punching a point behind them or something like that, right? Yeah. These are commonly trained and they're tangible things, right? Like resting your mind on a point behind a person when you deliver the strike has a different effect to basically targeting something on the skin, right? I mean, these, these are known things. These are used by trainers every day, yes. right? And they're not that woo. But when internal arts does it, it's suddenly woo, right? Yeah, sure. Although I think in the defense of people saying that it's woo, -woo sometimes the, the results are quite different. Yeah, I agree, right? Yeah. So this is what I mean. Like uh, we, to to some extent, we do use some of the some of the similar technology that we use in internal arts mm -hmm. to a very rudimentary degree in a lot of fields that we take as accepted and and considered to be at the elite level of human performance in other sure. areas, right? Yeah, completely. But people just have that. Like when, once they switch the domain. That is accepted as legitimate workable technology in one domain suddenly becomes like completely unacceptable, unfathomable woo, right? Because yes. the problem is you're going to going into a mindset like, oh, this shit doesn't work. It's bullshit, right? So you're basically trying any information you find, you're trying to fit into that narrative, right? Yeah. You're not considering it for what it is. All right. So one one thing that um, I think we have in common 
in many ways, Joey, is that uh, I think it's fair to say that we both tend to like to continue to explore and, and see how other arts work and things. So personally, I, even though I have my, I have, you, know, you know I have my main teacher who constantly putting me through the ringer, but at the same time, I, I, I enjoy going out and seeing what other people are doing, especially with regards to internal martial arts, because for me, my mainstay, as you know, is alchemy and Qigong. That, that's really, that's, that's my love. That's what I do. So I try to keep those pure and stay with who I'm working with. That's what I tend to do. But with regards to internal martial arts, because they're a hobby to me, I quite enjoy seeing how different people uh, work. And I think it's really cool to see all of the different models and paradigms people use. Um, and I think it's safe to say you do the same. I think you're even more exploratory of different people than I am. Because I saw you recently even attending um, Kieran, I don't know Kieran's second name. They call him the Marshall Man. I don't know what Kieran's second name is. That nice English fella, if you haven't seen him. He's ever so nice. Who uh, runs a camp every year called the Marshall Man Camp. Um, and uh, Joey attended it. And obviously it had numerous teachers there. So Joey got the chance to push hands with everybody, I assume. Uh, so I don't know, do you want, how was that? How was that experience, seeing all those different people in a short space of time? Yeah, so um, so basically, um, it's a, it, was a, it was a bit of a unique situation in the sense that, um, or rather I would say it's an odd situation in the sense that, um, like I, w I wouldn't have considered Marshall Camp in the past. Yeah. For the simple reason that I would have considered that such an engagement not sufficient to go in depth to any one particular art, right? So because I like to, yeah. I like to get into things, like you know, dig myself into things and like experience things quite hands-on and you know, in detail and depth kind of yeah. thing, right? It's because because I really, I really like this stuff. Like it really, really. I mean, even as a kid, right? It, it's. Like, I, I'm not necessarily interested in the utility that something has for me. It's just that something about it turns me on in a way, right? I, yeah. I like human movement. Let's put it that way, right? Okay. And especially in a, um, you know, in, 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 like, I mean, I like, I like dance, but I like martial arts more than dance. Who knows why, right? Okay. So anyway, so, um, so, like, the primary reason why I decided to go to the martial camp event this year as to any other year, yeah. was that quite a few people, especially after COVID, that I haven't seen in many years, was going to be there in one place, yeah. and that would have saved me the trouble of like traveling to Taipei and traveling to Kuala Lumpur, right? Okay, and yeah. you know, to Hong Kong to meet Nima King because I wanted to meet Nima one day. Yeah. So it was it was really what drove me to Marshall Camp initially was the. Um, the opportunity to meet like these different teachers from different parts of the world in one place, right? Okay, yeah, that makes and, sense. Uh, and, um, and in that sense, I think what Kieran had achieved by putting that like geographically diverse set of teachers together in one place yes. was pretty awesome because um, it saves a lot of traveling back and forth for a lot of people. Do you know the funny thing is actually when I when I first saw the Marshman was like his like his third or fourth one wasn't it? And I remember when he did the first one, and I I, I think I met Kieran the same year. I think it was the same year or something. And uh, the thing I was most amazed by was how is he going to bring all of those internal martial arts teachers together and they don't argue with one another? <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought it was just going to be like a huge conflict, but actually he seems to have managed it pretty well. 
Well, you know, this is this is really interesting, right? Like, yeah. I mean, so 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 this like you know, at least I mean, I've been only only been to one of these things, right? Yes. And um, I think I think the teachers that he had this year, like, were very open-minded and secure people, so they didn't really go out of their way to avoid other teachers, except okay. um, except Liang Yihua, who okay. basically kept to himself and you know didn't really interact with anyone else. Okay. Right, but outside yeah. of that, you know, Master Yap and Richard. Well, people, you know, Richard was like one of the most open, genuinely um, curious individuals that you'll know. You know, and Adam yeah. and uh, Adam was really sick, and even then, he was basically spending a lot of his time with people as much as he can. Right. Yes. And uh, Nima King and all these people. So they were like, uh, there was like Richard basically stayed through learning from some of the other teachers as well. He couldn't stay till the very end. Yeah. And Adam was there only at the very end because um, because he was not feeling well. And a lot of his students like who were coming along were not feeling well because they had food poisoning, right? So um, yeah. Yeah. So even then, there was a lot of interaction between the, the, the students that these teachers brought along and the participants throughout the entire, throughout the entire camp. Okay, great. And um, yeah. and Mark did some workshops for the students outside of the camp hours, and so it was it was a very sort of a sharing, curious about what other people are doing type of environment, not yeah, yeah. a you know very sort of paranoid and um, keeping to yourself like kind of wheeling around to see what other people are doing kind of environment. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, so in that sense, it was it was quite amazing, and um, I think that Kieran takes a, get the Marshall Band yeah. should get a lot of credit for like basically basically putting together an event with people with the right not only the skill but also the right mindsets, right, to make it a more holistic and fruitful experience for everyone involved. Yeah, I think so, an um, event is so, often a, a yeah. reflection of um, the mindset of the organizer as well. And I have to say, the only time I met Kieran, I found him to be a very um, genuine and open person. So probably that added to it a little bit as well, I think, with regards to that. Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I, couldn't, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't basically give more credit to Kieran, the Marshall Man, and his wife, Kunsoda, yeah, because they did an amazing job, and especially with some of the difficulties we had during the camp and some of the unfortunate events we had. Okay, it was it was amazing the job they did, and I would like I would I would want to support them in the future events and endeavors as well. Okay, cool. And yeah. and to be honest, right, like yeah. when I was going to Marshall Camp, I was going there with the expectation to meet everyone and say hello to everybody because I haven't seen everybody in such a long time. I wasn't even thinking about the learning I would be doing there. Yes. Okay. And to be honest, in terms of learning itself, I didn't go there with high expectations <laughs> because, you know, Adam and I catch up all the time, right? So, sure, sure. like, learning from Adam is basically a given in the way that, you know, we catch up at least once a year lately when we yeah. can, right? Yes. So... But in terms of the other teachers, I didn't know what material they'll be presenting. I didn't know what I would be able to get in that short period of time. So I wasn't even thinking about learning. I was just going there to say hello to everybody I haven't seen in a while, right? Yes. And, uh, and I would say in terms of learning, it exceeded expectations, not only because of 
the generosity of the teachers, yep. right? It exceeded expectations because of all the participants. Because they weren't like, they weren't 20 year old high school kids or 20 year old uni kids who wanted to bash someone in the ring, right? These people were lifelong martial artists with a lot of experience behind them and had brought a unique skill set and perspective from their own sometimes decade worth of experience. Yeah, sure. And being in that environment, like basically interacting with everyone else as they're trying to make sense of what the teachers are presenting and trying to understand what the teachers are presenting yeah. as a collective environment, it was an amazing learning environment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. it, like I would, I would, I would, I would highly recommend events like this, not so much only because of the teachers, but also because of the quality of the participants. Yes, sure. Like they were very generous with their knowledge. They were not paranoid. They were sharing. They were. They wanted people to understand where they were coming from. They weren't overly defensive or anything like that. It was such a wonderful learning experience, right? I would imagine. And I think that. Yeah. I think. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I just. I was thinking. I would imagine as well that what must be interesting, only off the top of my head, it might be wrong, but if you have a bunch, say you go to somebody's class, say you went to Nima King's class or Adam Meissner's class or something like my class or whatever, you're going to meet people who more accurately represent that teacher's method. So you're going to get a certain, certain sort of way of doing something, aren't you? Whereas I imagine if everybody there has only got, what, two days with a teacher and trying to get a hold of something, I imagine you get like 20, 30, 40, however many people's there, interpretations of what they're being taught. So there must be a very different spectrum of contact experiences when you touch hands with people. Absolutely. And yeah. and, the, and the other thing was that, like, you know, like um, there's something that I was telling Kieran, yeah. was that, um, you know, like he should have called it healing camp because the amount of actual therapeutic work that was going on there from the teachers helping the participants and participants helping each other on a daily basis was sure. phenomenal. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Um, so as someone with um, a, a lot of malleability in your body and your uh, attention level being very, very good, uh, one thing that I, I like to do is I guess I kind of steal people's skill <laughs> when I touch hands with them, which sounds bad, but they get to keep their skill. It's not like I take it off them. Yeah. But I, 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 one thing I'm very good at, when I touch hands with someone that I'm very interested in learning from, is I, I, I don't know if passive is the right word, receptive maybe, to just simply allow their, their quality to pass through my body. Um, and I kind of take it into my nervous system, so plasticity of my body copies them, which I certainly tried to do with you when I met you and, and with Adam and other people and, and different teachers. So I, I, I would imagine that you benefit in that way, right? You must have been able to steal. <laughs> I mean, massively, but that's, I mean, massively, right? I mean, this, yeah. is generally, this is generally how things work for me, right? Yes. Like, I mean, I, I totally understand when some Chinese teachers say like, oh, I don't like this guy, I'm not going to let him touch hands with me, even if he says that, you know, I was too scared to touch hands with him, I'm not giving him any Kung Fu, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I totally get that, right? I totally get that. But also coupled with that, the fact that these people genuinely wanted to share, right? Yes. It makes it an even better environment because, um, because you know, like, for example, like Master Dennis Wang was basically showing me uh, the Qi healing work that he does. Yeah. And um, Simon was showing me like some of the Reiki energies that he used, it was it was amazing. Like you know, it's not just that they were just showing it to show off, but they wanted to gen genuinely share something with you. Mm. 
Yeah. And and these were not the teachers who were there as the main event, right? So it was it's such an it was such an amazingly wonderful experience in that way. And um, again, I think it has a lot to do with the quality of the participants. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you know, I think there's a certain pre-selection bias involved as well because it's, it wasn't a it wasn't a cheap event, right? So I think that people who were there, who were spending that amount of money, were people who were quite serious about this yeah. type of study. Yes. And they were they were quite committed to learning, right? Yeah, sure. And um, yes. And I think that there was that there was that kinship of people learning the same thing, like you know, trying to unravel the same puzzle or same set of puzzles, right? I think that there was a certain or, or like sort of sort of implicit kinship in the group as well from the word go. So um, so I think that made a, that made a that made a big difference. And uh, I, I was I was I was so impressed to the point where I would actually like to help put some of these events together with a similar dynamic because I think that people could benefit from this all over the world. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's a positive review. So. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was, I was, I was Im very impressed and it exceeded all expectations, with the exception of Liang Dihua's two days, which was basically half of it I didn't go to. Oh, right. Okay. Why didn't you go? You were sick too? Well, I mean, I had some work stuff come up as well, but realistically, you know, like, uh, so the very first day, he walks into the class and he goes like, oh, you know, we've got to do the Xi Jinping. Oh. I only normally show the external shape. You're telling this to people who have paid more than $3,500 to be there, right? Okay. And, uh, and he goes, oh, but this is the third or fourth event. So for you peasants, I will maybe show a little bit of internal. I mean, like, seriously, what the actual, you know? So, like, it, it started off the wrong way from the word go, because it was just, you don't start something by insulting the people who paid to be there by saying that, Oh, you little doggies, I'll throw you some scraps because I don't need them, right? Oh, you're so loyal, I'll throw you some scraps, right? Okay. You know, like, like that kind of rubbed me, off, rubbed me the wrong way to start with, right? Okay, yeah, sure. And, um, and okay. then, I don't want to harp on and on about it, but um, so the Xi Jinping material that he showed was substanceless because it was just external shapes mostly, and... Um, the way he was setting it up, like he was setting it up where people would create a lot of upper body tension, especially shoulders and the arms, oh. and then would release the waist to create a certain effect. Yeah, so yeah, not yeah. using the internal method at all, but mimicking the results, right? So yeah, that yeah. people feel good about it. Yeah. Right, because they feel that they got like, oh, they got like far fang or uprooting in just one day, whatever, something like that, right? Well, if, if you so it was quite significantly set up. Yeah. And even when he was demoing on people, he very, very craftily set it up. Sure. Okay. So he said to he said to the participant, Oh, you're not very good at this. We can't do this internal way. So your partner has to give you this rigid structure, right? And then okay. that was the same framework he was using yeah. when he was demoing on people. Yeah. So he was actually he had already primed the people to give them structure and resistance. Yeah. And then he was basically locking on to their structure with like shoulders, strong shoulders and arms. Yeah. 
yeah. and then releasing the waste because most people are not releasing the waste when they do that. So you can just manipulate them like he shows in videos, right? But it was quite a strongly set up dog and pony show, not the way he depicts in the actual videos that he distributes online, right? But I guess maybe some people like it because they feel like they're achieving something, but it's not a real thing, right? It's just, it's, it's counterfeit. So I think, I, I personally think that's fraud, right? To basically charge money to show something and show something else, right? Maybe, 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 and, it's, maybe um, it's not fraud if, I'm just playing devil's advocate, maybe it's not fraud if it's explained that it's a kind of fake version so you can get a feel for it. Maybe that's okay. Well, this is the thing, right? Yes. I didn't feel like that was stated upfront and clearly. Okay. And I didn't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's been demonstrated, like it's been effectively stated in the videos as well. Like right. all the online videos that have been promoted um, here. Yes. It's like, it makes it sound like it's been done impromptu to anybody off the street, just like Adam does, right? I mean, Adam does everything impromptu, right? Yeah, yeah. And you do things yeah. impromptu, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's done in the same way. So everyone thinks that it's impromptu, but it's not. There's quite a bit of setup that goes to it. Sure. But the fundamental problem I have with this, right, is that what difference does it make if you had the taste of being able to destabilize someone if you're doing it the wrong way? You're yeah. there to learn a certain method, right? So, yes. you know, you're not there to make instant noodles. It is understood that you're not going to get it the next day, right? Sure, yeah, I get it. What's important is that you're shown the way, the method, it's gone full, right? It's that something that you develop through consistent effort over time. Yes. So what's important for that amount of money is to be shown the right way. Yes. Right? Not some, not some bullshit, oh, I can feel good about myself, but that shit never works kind of nonsense, right? Sure. And um, yeah, and, and the other and the other problem obviously was that some of the critical things like you know suspending the crown and emptying the chest was explained completely wrong in a way that creates a lot of upper body tension, right? And creates a lot of tension through the upper back that gives people a handle to your structure. Okay. Sure, like, yeah. I mean, it works because by expanding the upper back, you're getting a curved power, not direct linear power. Yeah. So a person who is not well-versed in movement find it difficult to deal with that kind of expanding power to the expanding back, right? Because it's come on a curved path to you. Is this but what? someone who knows what they're doing, yes. internal or external, will be able to catch the entire back as a whole unit, yeah. right? Yeah and basically potentially create some serious lower back damage if they actually put power into it. So, so, so can, I, can I stop, like take you back a step there. So was the yeah. explanation, you're saying the explanation of emptying the chest was to push the back out and round, was it? Is this the method? So, so the way that it was described was very, very similar to so some of the southern styles do it mm. in the upper body only. So okay. I showed yeah. this to some of the young students, like that the disconnect that happens where everything gets stuck in the lower back, it actually makes it worse than the, the pure southern method. Yes. Because the pure southern method actually does not let that happen. Sure. Yeah. So, so, like in, 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 so it was not correct for the Tai Chi method, but it was also dangerous from a Southern method perspective as well. So, 
Okay. Sounds like, like I definitely appreciate the fact that that, in, that information would have put people, especially people who are older, right? Yeah. In a more precarious situation when they're trying to create these effects with the newfound confidence that they believe that they can do it. Okay. I mean, if they do it against someone strong, you know, they're probably going to get their lower backs hurt. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, it sounds like it would create a very immobile, top-heavy structure from your experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so those, were the, those were kind of the reservations that, that I had with the first two days. Okay. But um, from then onwards, it was great. Like, I mean, Richard Wong is an amazingly beautiful human being, and he was basically sharing how he does things the way he looks at things. Okay. And he was very honest about it. He was like, you know, this is how I do things. Maybe it'll work for you, maybe it won't, but I'm going to share it with you. And if you can make it work, it's great. Right? Okay. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he basically touched hands with everyone. His, like his assistants, his son, and his, um, his disciple, yep. Roger, they were, they were both very lovely people. They, they wanted people to get it. So, um, so they shared what they came to share. And it was such a wonderful experience because of their personalities, right? Sure. Yeah. And um, and the same goes for Master Yap as well. Like Master Yap was basically very generous in wanting to share his art. And of course, what he's trying to share is very intricate. And it's not something that you can do like the next day. But he was showing it to the best of his ability and describing it with a level of generosity that allows someone to try to maximize their potential or the ability to get it. Right. So it was lovely. Yes. And, um, and Nima King was very much focused on showing the amount of power that he was able to generate with this method. And uh, he was explaining the internal mechanics of it to the degree that it could be potentially appreciated in that setting. But he wanted people to understand that someone as of a smaller physical stature like him how he can generate incredible amount of power. And I think that was really important for some people as well, mm. because, um, because I think that it gives people an idea how much power, how, how much impact can be generated by these technologies, even yeah. by someone with a, with a relatively small stature, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, the only comment that I'll make for future events for NEMA would be to basically maybe not demonstrate it on everybody, or maybe like go a little easy when demonstrating, because <laughs> I think some people weren't expecting to take that kind of power. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I think it shocked them a little bit. Okay. Sure. But it, uh, it but everyone was appreciative right? of the the intricacy, the technology, and the power that he was generating. Okay. Cool. Oh, well, that sounds and, like a positive experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I was very happy that I got to experience it because it's a very different body method to what comes out through the spiritual practice for me. Sure, yeah. So, it, but it was very, it was very cool for me to experience how much power is in there and how how intricate and delicate, like precise that moment was, and how skilled it is. Right. So it was very cool to actually finally firsthand experience it. Okay. And. Um, so, and last was Adam, and Adam, of course, you know, I was joking to Adam saying that, you know, he should have, he should have just been doing the class with the drip because he was not in a good state, right? He was really, hadn't eaten in many days, he was suffering from food poisoning, but... Uh, well, the joy but, uh, but Asian food, yep. 
Yeah, yeah, but he was... Uh, so for that reason, I don't think he actually got a chance to touch hands with as many people as he could. He did demonstrate on some people, but he didn't get a chance to touch as touch hands with as many people as he normally, yes, he normally does. Yes. But um, Andy was there, and uh, Paul was there, right? Curtis was there, Gabe was there. So um, I think people got a fair bit of uh, hands-on experience. But the interesting part of the way Adam did it was that Adam actually showed them three, or I think it was four, um, negongs that specifically were on the shoulders and the spine. Yeah. And then he basically framed a set of exercises where people can isolate the skills in the open shoulders and the open spine and the open paw to see the difference these, these methods make and specifically over time. Sure. Yeah. So I think that was really cool. I think that people got to experience what it is like to train these arts in the sense like what, what Gong Fu really feels like, right? On a day-to-day basis when it comes to the, the Tai Chi one, right? Okay. So I think I think that I think that was really valuable. Okay. And I, I fully understand some people's disappointment that they didn't get to uh, touch hands with Adam in a more um, unstructured setting. But um, but I think that the value that Adam's work added workshop at the end added in terms of contextualizing everything and framing everything was really, really, really cool. Okay. So, um, so overall, it was a great experience. And um, the, only, the only, only regret I have with the camp is not staying a couple of days longer uh, to support Steve until Steve could be safely sent home. Steve? Who's and, Steve? Um, what happened there? Um, Steve is this lovely gentleman who basically uh, didn't make it back from the Marshall camp because um, he was struggling with some health conditions and um, he had trouble kind of coping with the situation and he, um, I don't know the exact circumstances of his death, but he passed away in his hotel room a couple of days after the Marshall camp. Oh no, that's a shame. uh, yeah, yeah, and he was a lovely gentleman as well, and uh, and and not for like some of the some of the people from the Marshall camp actually stayed back and helped him. Okay, but I I feel that I could have done more, and that was that'll probably be my biggest regret from Marshall camp, I'd say. Okay, but I, I, um, I assume this was a health condition that he already had, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely, and and okay. and Kieran and some of the folks at the camp tried to support him and help him through it during the camp to quite an extent and um, and probably that was one of the reasons why I didn't really think that maybe I should stay back and um, support Steve for a couple more days until he gets on the plane, but um, okay. well, that's yeah, you know, with 2020 hindsight. I guess, I guess when it's your time, it's your time and if he was a, a, a martial artist, I mean, I suppose on the plus side, at least he spent the last two days, the last week doing something he loved, right? Absolutely, and uh, and you know, and 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 I think that I think that Steve, as a human being, touched my heart in a very deep way. In that um, his openness and um, his kindness, even going through what he was going through, he was very 
cognizant of what people were doing for him, and uh, it was quite it was quite amazing. And uh, so, so when I said that I want to spend a lot of time working on healing for the next few years, at the very least, yes, I think I think Steve kind of convinced me that now is the time to do it. You know? Okay, it is something that I've been interested in for a long time. But it was something that I was always, you know kind of kicking the can down the road, so to speak. And, uh, and my time with Steve convinced me that that is the path to take. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm forever thankful for Steve for uh, opening his heart and allowing me to work with him and uh, letting me experience what it's like to um, connect with a human being at that level and uh, work through difficult things together. Okay. Well, that... I think that's, I think that's often the motivation for a lot of people for medicine as well, isn't it? And maybe that's a healthier reason than your own suffering in in some way is to connect with somebody else's. Yeah, absolutely, I, absolutely, I think so. I think so. And um, and and Steve definitely lit that fire in me that was dormant quite some time, and I'm forever thankful for him for that. Okay. Uh, well, well, that's a shame that that it ended like that, and. Uh, I didn't know that. I had no idea about that. It must have been very hard for Kieran. It must be horrible having something like that on an event that you're trying to organize. I, I wouldn't even begin to imagine the difficulty with that. Yeah, and especially without some of the, some of the, like the fact that we were out of the loop with some of the things, right? And uh, Sure. Like, it sounds like the things unfolded very quickly in the few days following. Uh, the end of Marshall Camp, and one of the gentlemen who were there at the Marshall Camp were with Steve. Took him to the hospital a couple of times. Okay. Good thing, but even I don't think even he was aware of what was going on at the end. And uh, Kieran didn't know until one of Steve's relatives had contacted Kieran and uh, asked him about the circumstances, which Kieran had no idea about, as I understand it. And this relative had been notified by the consulate, so. Um, Okay. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. I'm sorry that that happened. That's a depressing end to what should have been a wholly positive event, really. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I mean, looking beyond the depression, I think that Steve touched a lot of us in a way that, um, you know, that basically, I think, made it a more rich, a richer experience for him during his last day than for us. Okay. Yeah, okay. It, it's funny if... Uh, it's funny you say that in a way that that's your motivation for transferring to healing because uh, similarly, I, a number of years ago now, quite a lot of years ago, I had somebody come to me for treatment who had a chi deviation. Something had gone wrong from a made-up qigong system and it was causing them lots of problems, lots of like severe problems. You know, not, not life-threatening, but life-quality destroying, maybe I would say, something like that. And I, and I worked mm-hmm. with him. He'd been to all kinds of therapists and, and doctors and psychologists, all sorts of people trying to fix it. And he came to me and he, he was a really nice guy. I really like, like, you know, sometimes when you connect with someone, I was like, I really like this guy. This guy's super cool. But he was in so much pain. And uh, I tried to move the blockage and adjust it, but I just didn't have the strength. There was no way. I didn't have enough juice. Like, it was, it was mm-hmm. like technically I could do what he did, but I didn't have enough power. And then, uh, mm-hmm. so I sent him to some other, the best people I knew, and they couldn't help him either. They also didn't have the strength. And I would say one person actually made it a little bit worse, unfortunately. And then I found out 
shortly afterwards uh, from his family that he killed himself. He took his own life because he couldn't live with the discomfort from the chi deviation. And I, I felt mm -hmm. really, really bad about that. But it, it did two things. I, I felt it crushed me actually for a little while because I felt like a failure, a complete amount of failure on every level. I was like, is this it? Is this what everything I've done has amounted to? That I just let this person down? And uh, it upset me and it drove me to do two things, which is one, I studied chi deviations and the problems that arose from internal work to a much higher degree. It became an obsession of mine. And the other thing it did was it caused me to realize that you need to have a lot more chi. So I got really obsessed with building more juice behind what I was doing so that I wasn't kind of running on a half empty tank while I was doing this. Mm -hmm. this, this kind of work and perhaps in a similar way I guess it redirected my direction more towards medicine and, and the sort of spiritual growth rather than martial arts which all of a sudden felt a bit irrelevant when you're put in that situation mm -hmm. the ability to knock a man down with one hand seemed a bit trivial <laughs> once you place the <laughs> yeah, absolutely absolutely couldn't agree more what is knocking yeah. someone down compared you to know, the ability to pick them up Absolutely. And, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? I mean, you know, I, like we, I, I very much relate to that story simply because, you know, that was me a couple of, a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like I was in the same position where whatever was happening on a minute-by-minute -minute basis was too difficult for me to endure that I was driven to believing that, you know, ending this is the only viable path forward, right? And... I mean, the only reason why I'm here is because I suck at ending my life, it seems, you know. It's not, not for not trying. I was just incompetent, right? And, uh, and it, took, it took me a while there to get to a point where I go like, oh, okay, this whole this killing myself business is not working. So the only thing that I have left to do now is basically try to look at my own mind and figure out what the fuck is going on, right? I, I think but, but, you know, I think it's yeah. a great so, testimony so, to, your, to your strength. Um, Joey is having known you only a short amount of time over the years to watch you go through those struggles and now have the ability to get where you are and I think that's a great testimony to your strength personally. Yeah, I mean it's not just me, right? I mean like my friend Gilad <laughs> came to visit me at multiple points and saw me not having not eaten for weeks and took me to the hospital a couple of times so that I would actually eat right things like that and uh, you know I didn't. I, it's not something that I went through by myself, like, you know, because for better or for worse, because my ex-wife was adamant that I would, I would have the children with me yeah. at least a couple of days, every couple of weeks, I had to basically try to basically function. So in my mind, it was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I have a good time with them and then I'll kill myself after they leave. <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so this went around for like like a couple of years, right? So, so in the sense that it wasn't just sort of it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just me in the sense it was the whole ecosystem around me. Like I mean, you know, Paul would basically come visit me and take me out and like you know take me out shopping, and I had no confidence in selecting groceries from grocery store shelves that. Like it ended up being like a two-hour affair where like Paul would say, "Hey, you should try this. Maybe you can cook this or something like that, right?" So, so yeah, it was insane, right? Sure. But um, so I, I fully appreciate what that gentleman might have gone through. And uh, but the, the point, the point 
in all this is that, you know, like I would consider, I would have considered myself always an introspective person. Yeah. And the reality of the situation was that the only time that I was really introspective truly to look deep enough into my mind was when I realized that I suck at this killing myself business. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's how far I was avoiding this introspection thing at a deeper level. You know? right. That's an interesting way to... <laughs> why do you think that led to, if you don't mind me asking, if it's not prying, why do you think that led... Why did that thing lead to the introspection? Out of all, out of all things, out of all things. Because I can't, I can't equate, because I've never been in that place. So I'm curious. Because, because I had no solution, right? Like, there was no solution because I couldn't endure the suffering on a minute-to-minute -minute basis of everything that I ever, have ever known to me ending in the most horrific way, right? Okay. And all this, this whole killing myself thing wasn't working. Yeah. So, in my insanity, I didn't really have a choice but to basically go like, okay, you, so my experience is in my mind, right? All this is happening in my mind. Yes. So maybe, just maybe if I can look into this thing, I can maybe dull the pain a little bit, right? Okay. Yeah. So that, that was kind of the motivation. It was, it was really like surviving the next two minutes with the motivation. Well, I, I saw a transformation in you because obviously I knew you before you went, had your problems and, and when I met you. And, and you went from, subjectively anyway, from my, my outside view, you went from fun-loving, troublemaking Joey to deeply philosophical and spiritual but troublemaking Joey after you came out of, uh, after this period of change. I definitely saw a transformation in you. And it does strike me as like you, you were forced into a position to actually study what is meant by suffering and what is meant by the kind of chains or shackles of the mind by what was going on. Is, is that right or, or not? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, um, the way I perceive the nature of existence is very different, right? Like, I mean, I would say that, I would say that before this, I was looking at the nature of existence in a very intellectual and superficial level. Yeah. Like, this forced me to look at my own mind and understand, or at least I wouldn't say I know what's, what's going on, but at least to understand to a deeper degree with, with more clarity as to what's happening in there. Okay. So do you, do you think that people have to heat? Do you think hitting rock bottom with regards to suffering is essential for, for spiritual growth? Would you say? or So... Of all the people that I've known yeah. who have, like, who have, I would say, um, relatively high spiritual attainments or better state of existence, they seem to have at some point gone through a lot of suffering themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, so, for example, Adam's Buddhist teacher, mm -hmm. Ajahn Jamnian, would say that suffering exists to motivate people to liberate, right? And I certainly see that side of things. But I'm not, I'm not coming to conclusions. I'm not saying that someone has to absolutely suffer to attain some level of freedom. But um, I don't know. But um, it certainly seems to be the case that 
a lot of people who enjoy a degree of freedom in their minds, or from their minds rather, seem to have gone through a lot at some point. And, and some people are born like that, right? I'm not discounting those. Some people are born like that. But people who have gotten there in this lifetime, generally speaking, seem to have very traumatic experiences behind their belt, even through, like sometimes through external circumstances, but sometimes through their own practice. I mean, certainly in some yogic traditions, right? Mm-hmm. Like they look at the physical separation from society, not as something that you require as much as something you have to do to suffer, like to basically spare the suffering for those who care about you because you don't want them to be seeing you going through what you've been going through on your path. So you want to be secluded and away from society, but with your teacher, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. It's it's almost it, so, it it kind of on an overly simplified level. Sorry to make it horribly mechanical, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning of our conversation with putting under pressure and still discovering the spaciousness that gives you the freedom within it on a physical level. It is similar to what you were going through with regards to your mind in some ways. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was like it was physical. It was like it was all encompassing in terms of that particular experience. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's difficult. I've had, uh, I mean, I've, I've known people that suffered physically and I've known people that suffered mentally and I would say the people that suffered mentally suffered, uh, almost, I wouldn't say a lot more, maybe you couldn't quantify it against each other, but maybe there was less light at the end of the tunnel with regards to the mental uh, suffering uh, because of the, well, the all-encompassing nature of it and, and also I think we understand I think we understand that when the body gets something wrong with it, that it's more likely that it's a transient thing in many cases. Yeah. Whereas we can't understand that with the mind. Like unconsciously, we have that experience that this too shall pass, right? Because things in the past have passed, right? Yes. But uh, but when it comes to mental anguish, not being able to see the end of the light at the end of the tunnel, it's uh, it's actually quite daunting in the sense that. uh, and especially, like, you know, it's actually really crazy, right? Like, um, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of newfound respect for people who are going through the end stages of their life because some of the things that I was insanely grieving over, like, I would have been very surprised if someone would tell me that I would even care about it, right? Okay. So it was like, you know, I would, I, would, I would get a smell of something like a neighbor was cooking, right? I'd be like... Oh yeah, I don't really like that food. But then I'll be like, "Oh, I'll never be able to experience this again." And then the grief would hit, right? That's interesting. And okay, yeah. Like you would be grieving over not ever being able to smell again something you hate. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you, so <laughs> it's it's insane. So like the it's, transience of experience became more traumatic than anything to do with preference, really. Absolutely. Yeah, like okay. the. The ending of experience was yeah. more traumatic than absolutely anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there was a stage where, like, you know, I wouldn't want to go out of the house because I didn't want any living being to see me because I was so ashamed of myself and I had no idea why. Sure, <laughs> it's, okay. it's crazy. Can I, ask, uh, can I ask what helped you to get out? What was the, the transformation? What actually turned the corner with regards to this? Um, it, it was just out of desperation, basically making the decision that I have to look into my mind and see what's going on. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to 
as opposed to the failed strategy of trying to kill myself, basically. Sure, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I will say that uh, having known you, I think you've done a fairly remarkable job, really, to, I mean, your understanding of mind is what gets you in trouble because when you try and explain it, nobody can understand what you're writing. But <laughs> clearly, when you break it down and you, and you analyze it, the insight that you have to the level of mind and spirit, I would say as well, is, is bordering on profound, I would say, with some of the things you, you write. So clearly, your, your explanation went deep, exploration went deep, because I don't think you'd have been able to write those things when I first met you. I think that's a transformation that came. Ah, right, okay. Well, you'll be pleased to know I've actually still got you on screen, on the phone. You're still talking. <laughs> nice. All right, then. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do is um, I'll, I'll wrap it up now then, Joey. And I have to say you're a, a beautiful human being, and I'm, I'm super happy to know you and have you in my life. So thank you very much for the conversation. <laughs>